Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. Whenever God does something with me, someone was asking me, how do I know the presence of God in my life? I get this weird, anxious, like tingly feel, and I got that as I was sitting listening to those words, and I felt like I had to be obedient, so thanks for maybe indulging me, but I hope that that song uh, is true in your life as we worship today. This morning, um, you get, well, you're stuck with me for 15 minutes, and you get Ed for 15 minutes, so Uh, You get your youth pastor, and you get your executive pastor, acting senior pastor, um, guy who's much more knowledgeable about scripture than me, uh, teaching together, and it should be fun, Uh, but this morning, we're going to take a break from uh, the book of Mark, and we're going to be spending time looking at what it means to be the body of Christ, and so we're going to be spending our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 26. If you uh, have your Bible app, because why not, turn there. If you have your Bible, turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 26. We're not going to go through it verse by verse, but we will uh, grab the fullness of the meaning and um, look at what it means to be the body of Christ. And so let's read that together. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and it says this. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our, more presenta- which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray before we begin unpacking this. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance to gather together this morning. Lord, as we get ready to unpack your word and we get ready to look at uh, what it means to be the body of Christ, would you be glorified? Father, would the words that Ed and I speak, would they be just what you would have for us to say? Father, would we become less that you might become more? Would we rightly divide your word and would we handle it with great care? 
Father, would this uh, message this morning not just be uh, something that is informational, but something that, that calls us to, to a greater understanding and knowledge of you that transforms the way that we think and act, the way that we uh, conduct ourselves. Father, would you be with us as we continue in worship through the uh, reading and hearing of your word. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So what we have in 1 Corinthians is Paul calling the church to be more united. If you know anything about Corinth, uh, it's that it was a pretty troubled place. There's all sorts of sin issues. There's all sorts of division going on. And, and Paul keeps calling the church to be united to one another. He wants them to be deeply caring for one another. And the metaphor he chooses to use to describe the church is the body. And I think that Paul uses this metaphor because of its universality. If you're sitting here, you have a body. But whether or not you like it or not doesn't matter. You have one so you can instantly relate to Paul's metaphor. So uh, Paul is saying that everyone knows what it looks like to have a body and what it looks like to have different parts of your body and how it all works together. And so he's saying that this is an image of the church. The body of Christ is one of many images the New Testament writers give us. Uh, but it is perhaps the most used. The idea that we are a body is most used. But just because I have to, we need to talk, uh, I want to make sure you understand some of the other metaphors. There's the idea of the family, that we are sons and daughters, that we are the bride of Christ, that we are branches on a vine, that we are an olive tree, we are a building, we are a house, we are a field and a harvest and a holy priesthood. Paul and the other New Testament writers use all of those metaphors to describe the church because not one single metaphor is good enough. The body is an easy one, and that's why they go back to it, uh, but we need to understand that it is just one of the many facets of the church, because my understanding of who I am in Christ is lessened if I don't realize that I am also his bride. It is lessened if I don't realize that I'm a part of his family, and so uh, we need to know that there's other ways to describe the body of Christ, to describe the church. Uh, but we're going to spend our time this morning really just focused in on this idea of the body. And here's what I want you to understand. What is the body? The body is everyone in this room. Uh, the body or the church is found here in this room. And it's found on the back deck of your friend's house as you call one another closer to Christ. It's found in the online Bible study that you take part in each week. The body of Christ is found in believers who are reaching out to those in need. You see, the body is found wherever believers are gathering and seeking to honor God with their words, thoughts, and deeds. And this makes understanding the church in our current context so much easier. Given the, the current restrictions we have, social distancing issues, and concerns of covid you see, we may have been physically absent from one another, but the church has not been spiritually absent. We have been gathering together over the last months, and we will continue to do that no matter what uh, things may come and challenge us, uh, because it is God who has arranged the members of the body. He has brought us together for a purpose, not just in this local context, but in its global context. So what is the body? The body is not a specific building. 
This is not the body of Christ. This room is not the body, but the people in it are. The body and the church of Christ is not restricted to a single place or time. There is not one local group of people who can say, we were the church and nobody else was. The body is made up of all true believers in Jesus and includes believers past, present, and future. The body of Christ is made up of all those who God calls to himself, whether we like them or not. And so uh, the key for us is to understand that God arranged the body in a way that no matter where his people go, they can still be together. You see, the church is a carryover from the idea of synagogue. And the synagogue was not a, a building or a temple itself. Synagogue simply meant 10 Jewish men. And in the, the same way, the church simply means true believers gathered together. And so uh, I, I got to experience this in a really unique way. I grew up in California, and for some reason, my wife decided she would follow me as I moved to Florida. And uh, I went to a small school in Florida, and I was about three weeks uh, removed from moving from California to Florida, and I was homesick. School had started. Uh, I was unimpressed with my surroundings because uh, that's who I am. And I went to chapel and I had had a conversation with uh, one of the worship leaders, and he said, what's one of your favorite songs? He was just trying to care about me. And I said, it's 10,000 Reasons. And the very first song he plays for the very first chapel was 10,000 Reasons. And it didn't mean, it probably meant a lot to the other people because it's a great song, but it meant so much to me because I'm sitting there and I realize I can worship the same God in California that I do in Florida. Uh, that this song was a trigger for it, that I would be reminded that I had 10,000 reasons to sing and I could find 10,000 more. And, and so even though I wasn't uh, happy with my circumstances, the body of Christ was caring for me in that particular moment. And, and then I was reminded of it further as I'm still in Florida and then I get called by a pastor in California to go on a mission trip to Mexico. So long story short, I'm going to Mexico. And I don't know any Spanish. Like, I can say like four words in Spanish. I can get to the bathroom and that's about it. And even then, I get corrected on how I said it. If you don't believe me, ask our students. They'll tell you how terrible I am with Spanish. And so I'm, I'm or we're flying to California, we're driving down to Mexico, and I'm spending time with all the English students. And when we get there, I'm gonna be the speaker. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm gonna say to these students. I have no idea how to speak into uh, the, the local students' lives. And I met a kid named Jesus Duran. And Jesus loved Jesus, loves Jesus. And he's there, and he not only loves Jesus, he's got a beautiful voice, loves to play guitar, and loves just to worship whenever and wherever he can. And one night after a message that I wasn't feeling particularly great about, that I was putting all the pressure on myself and not allowing God to do what he needed to do, the body came to my rescue and reminded me that the body was the same there as it was in Florida, as the same as it was in California. And Jesus grabs a guitar and he starts to sing 10,000 Reasons. And he's singing it in Spanish. And I'm now listening to him sing it out, 
And then all the Spanish-speaking youth who were there, they started singing it. And it's washing over me. And I'm like, oh, it's so good. And because it was so familiar, all the English-speaking students picked up in English. And now I'm hearing students in two different languages acting more like the church than half the other churches I've ever seen because they're singing to God regardless of language, they're pouring out their praise. And what a beautiful moment because it was the body coming together for the purpose of glorifying God. That's what the body of Christ always does. The body of Christ is centered on that one mission of glorifying God. And so as I was in Florida and Mexico and as I traveled to North Carolina and now to Virginia, what God has constantly reminded me is this, that his believers who are worshiping him are his church. And so if you have concerns about the local body, whether you're in this room or you're watching from, I know we have people in Pennsylvania who watch and people in South Carolina who watch, know that your local body is the group of people who come together for the purpose of glorifying God. And it takes a little bit more than that because what we see at the end of 1 Corinthians is that there are three key things. And the first is that the church is committed to one another, both globally and locally. So we are committed to one another as a body of Christ. And I'm going to ask you to do something very different. If you're watching online, there's a camera. If you're watching online, I've got the live feed up right now. I want you to say that I'm committed. And you guys are just going to have to hang out for a second. Commit to the church. I want you to type your name. I want you to write that you are committed to the body of Christ. Not to LCC. You should be. But be committed to the body of Christ. And I'm going to be looking And so I want you to tell me uh, who's in here, and now this is where you guys join in. You guys are going to have to be extra loud, because I only have one mic, and it's not very good at picking you up. I'm going to ask that you shout that you're committed. Shout that you are committed to the body of Christ. And uh, young ones back there, this is the chance where you really get to talk. So Truesdale clan, man family, Norris's, Modens, Awinowix, I hope I said it right, I never know. Kids, I need you to shout as loud as you can, I don't care about inside voices, that I am committed to the body. We're gonna do that on the count of three, and parents, you can join in too, because I want everyone to hear that. So we have Cisco, we have Susie, we have Carol, we have Myrna, we have uh, the Wavery family, they're committed. We need to be talking about this. We need to see and know that we're committed to one another. So church family in here, can you say it as loud as you can on the count of three? Yes or no? All right. That was pretty good. We're going to have to be louder, though. I guarantee it. One, two, three. One more time, because I don't know if they heard you. One, two, three. Perfect. We need to, we need to practice that. People don't know that we're committed if we don't tell them. My wife, hopefully she knows I'm committed to her, but if I don't tell her and I don't act in the ways that say it, I need to be practicing and saying, I'm committed to you. Man, that thing that happened, that terrible experience we just had, I'm still committed to you. Driving from Tennessee to North Carolina, our car is breaking down. I'm still committed to you. 
We can't buy a, a new car. I'm not sure if we're going to fix this one. I'm still committed to you. I need to hear you say it back to me. I'm the guy, and I need to know that you're still committed to me, even when I can't provide the way I want to. And as a church, we have to practice that too. You see, the purpose of the body is that we're committed to one another because we, if we aren't committed to one another, we can't show that we care for one another. You see, the church, the second purpose of the body is that we care for one another. And I saw this come to life in a very real way very recently. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my dad was uh, diagnosed with COVID. He was confirmed positive for COVID. Um, and he's got some underlying health issues. And uh, one night, I get a call from my, my sister, and she says, Dad's actually asked for an ambulance to come. And so they rush him to the hospital. Um, and I'm now sitting there concerned because I know my dad's underlying issues, and I know the severity of what's going to happen or what could happen. And here's where the church cares for one another so well. My mom and dad are in a, a church that they're committed to. And she sends out one message and says, Kevin's going to the hospital. And their pastor, Pastor Sonny, says, I'm already here meeting with another one of our, our members. I'll be there to pray him in. And Sonny goes and he talks to the staff and they say, you can't go see him. And he says, I'm going to go see him. I'm going to fight to see a, a member of my body who's hurt. And he convinced the hospital staff to let him back. You see, that's what it looks like to have deep care, that I'm going to go, and I'm going to be in the messiest parts. He doesn't want to go risk himself to, to COVID, uh, but he knows that the body needs him. And that's a, a simple way uh, that, that's not simple. That's a major way that the body can show that it cares for one another. A, a simple way of, of care is uh, one of our members coming to me and telling me, when you pray, you need to stop just saying God. You need to pray to Father God. You need to address God as he is. And it was a gentle rebuke that I needed and that's what it looks like to care. We, we step in where rebuke is needed. We step in where care is needed. Uh, we hear a need and we instantly mobilize because that's what the body of Christ does. It doesn't look to one part as more important than the other. We treat each and every part of ourselves equally good. We know this instinctively as human beings. If a part of my body, literally my body, were to get cut, I know that I can't just let it hang out and do nothing. I need to protect it. If I, if I got a cut on my arm, I'm going to put my hand over it. I'm going to try and stop the bleeding. I'm going to go and do all the things I need to in order to make sure my body is functioning properly. Why as churches, not just uh, not in this local context, but all around, do we look and say, I'm not going to cooperate with the rest of the body? Uh, we play favorites and we do things uh, that we ought not do when what we need to be doing is caring for one another and staying committed to one another. Because if we can't do those first two things, the third purpose never comes out. And that's this, that the church or the body of Christ is meant to be a visible manifestation of Jesus to a watching world. The church is meant to be the representative of Jesus on this earth. 
And if I am too busy fighting with my left hand and my right foot, or I don't like the way my nose looks, I won't ever be the representative I'm meant to be. You see, because when the body does that, they aren't going about kingdom business. The, God gave me this image of my, my family being in a house. And they're on the other side of a giant boulder. And they need my help. You see, there is a world that is on the other side of a giant boulder that needs our help. And if I were to go up as a person and try and move that boulder with one hand, really trying, trying to figure out different ways, it's not going to work. I can call it quits or I can be like, that was ridiculous. I've got two hands. So now I use two hands and I'm trying to, to push this boulder out of the way. I'm trying to do different things to make it work. And I still can't move it. I would still be ridiculous if I didn't say, all right, I've got some toes. Let me dig those into the ground. I've got some heels. Let me get them planted. I've got some legs that are a little bit stronger than my arms. Let me get low and really move this thing. Let me activate the entirety of the body instead of fighting with it. You see, uh, when the body of Christ engages every part in order for the kingdom of Christ to come about, we're so much better. You see, we can do so much more apart, or together than we can apart. We can do more together than we can apart in this local body and in the global body. If we look at other churches as competition, we're doing it wrong. You see, we need to look at other churches and say, how can I be encouraged by destiny? How can I be encouraged by Cornerstone or Crossroads or Church of the Holy Spirit or whatever other church in town encourages you? The body is meant to be together because we can do more together than we can apart. I wouldn't be able to move a giant rock with just one hand. I wouldn't be able to do it with just two hands. I would have to activate the entirety of my members in order to make that happen. And the church does the same thing. Because when the church comes together, here's what it looks like. I was a part of a church that came together with eight other churches in their community. And they said, we're going to take over this apartment building. We're going to refurbish it. And we're going to move families who are in distress into it. And we're not just going to move them into it. We're going to walk alongside them. And so moms and daughters and, and sons and uh, many of the, these families came from homes where there was a, an absent or an abusive father and they said, this is a safe place for you to be and you could walk here and we will take care of you. And all eight of these churches said, we will not let one of them fall. They can choose to leave us, but we will not give up on them. No matter what it takes, we are going to keep on engaging. And each of those churches had to keep each other accountable because each of us had some people who came through that apartment that would have been much easier to say, have fun, go do it on your own. You're kind of annoying. I don't like you very much. You aren't loving me. You aren't uh, treating me the way I think I should be treated. You see, the body is meant to be a visible manifestation of Jesus to the world, which means that we should expect to be treated like Jesus was treated. And that is difficult for us to do. But there is one way that we are able to accomplish this mission over and over again. And Ed is going to share that with us. He's going to talk about the gospel of Christ that comes not only for us, but for a watching world. Thank you, Doug. <clears throat> thank you, Doug, and thank you for the way that you care for the youth of our church. Doug is one of those youth pastors who believes that young people can learn theology. 
they can learn deep things about God, and so he teaches it, and so they learn. Uh, so thank you, Doug. I want to speak to you for just a few minutes about one of my favorite passages in the Scriptures. Romans is my favorite book of the Bible, as it is the most complete explanation and the best defense of the gospel that we have in the Scriptures. And I love the way that Paul begins the book. So I'm going to read to you the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 1. As I read, listen for these words. God, you, Christ, gospel, and faith. Listen for those words and see how often they occur. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I've often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the just shall live by I hope you can hear in Paul's writing his passion for God's people and for God's gospel, his passion for the message of God, the gospel, which has saved them from their sin, which is going to carry them through their lives and which they are to carry to the world. Paul's passion is for the things that God cares about the most, the body of Christ and the gospel of Christ. For everything, for Paul, everything is about Jesus Christ. Here's what he says in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ 
and be found in him, having, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, Paul was an extremely well-educated man. He was trained by the greatest rabbi in Israel at that time, a man named Gamaliel. And here's what he had given up. This is what he said earlier in Philippians 3. He says, if anyone thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But Paul has given all of that up. Everything that he had worked so hard to achieve for the sake of Christ and his gospel. Because life with Christ is more valuable than what he was striving for before. Life with Christ is more valuable than anything else in the world. I was traveling with my band. Uh, we'd go down the road in the tour bus and we would listen to Bible teaching as we traveled. Uh, very often it was John MacArthur. I got his series on the book of Romans. I think it was 200 cassettes. Remember cassettes? And as uh, MacArthur taught, he did four one-hour messages on the first verse of Romans, an hour on Paul, an hour on what it means to be a bondservant, an hour on what it means to be an apostle, and another hour on the gospel. And we don't have that kind of time this morning to carefully work through this passage, but I want to rejoice with you in some of the highlights. So we're going to focus on the most important words, I think, in Paul's introduction to Romans. And they are God, you, Christ, gospel, and faith. The name of God is mentioned nine times in the English Standard Version in the first 17 verses. That's the point. The gospel is about what God has done. In those same 17 verses, Jesus is also mentioned nine times, either by name or by title or by pronoun. Paul is writing to the Romans about the gospel and about us. God's gospel, God's plan, God's means of saving sinners like you and I and giving hope to all who would trust in him. So here's the first thing I want you to notice in the text. It's the work of all three members of the Trinity in the gospel of God. In verse 1, Paul calls it the gospel of God. That's God the Father. In verse 2, we see that this gospel was promised in the Holy Scriptures. It's not a new thing. This was God's plan. In verse 3, we learn that the gospel is the truth about God's own Son. That is Jesus. So there's the second person of the Trinity. Descended from David according to the flesh. And then... Declared to be the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit is capitalized there, which means it is the third person of the Trinity. So the gospel involves all three members of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who are, of course, one. The second thing I want you to take note of is this. The gospel is built on God's grace and it provides peace with God. In almost all of Paul's greetings in his letters, there is some formulation that sounds like this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Apart from God's grace, and the word grace means gift, there is no peace with God that can be found. None of us are good enough to be at peace with a holy and righteous God on our own merits. Then in verse 8, we see Paul thanking God for their faith, which is being proclaimed all over the world. Rome was the preeminent city in the world at that time. And the gospel was going out from that place and impacting the world through their faith. But notice this. Paul thanks God for their faith because their faith is a gift from God. Jesus, according to Hebrews, is the author and the finisher of our faith. And then we hear Paul's fervent, powerful, daily prayers for the Roman Christians. And what does he pray for? The opportunity to be with them. The opportunity to share some spiritual gift with them, to encourage them in the faith. That's what he prays for. And then he says something that I've always thought is kind of remarkable. He says that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I think it's remarkable that the Apostle Paul, this super-educated man who was converted by the Lord Jesus himself, said that there could be mutual encouragement when he came to see them. I can easily understand how the Roman Christians would be encouraged by Paul. He's been instructed by God. He's a giant in the faith. He's going to write about a third of the New Testament, so it's easy to understand how they could be encouraged by Paul. But how is Paul, who knows all this, who knows more than they're ever going to know, how is he going to be encouraged by them? How can people who know much about God be encouraged by those who know less? Well, parents. Here's an example. Parents, are you not encouraged when you see your children forming and acting on their faith in God? Of course you are. And children, are you not encouraged by seeing your parents and your grandparents prof professing their faith? course you are. There's a mutual encouragement. I've been encouraged greatly as I have studied books by theologians like J.I. Packer, John Piper, R.C. Sproul, Billy Graham, and God has graciously given me opportunities to work with those men, but I cannot teach any of those men anything that they don't know about God. I can't. They're beyond me. Nevertheless, when we were together, we were encouraged, mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That's why we gather. That's why I'm so pleased to see you here this morning. We gather on the first day of the week to mutually encourage one another as we worship God. We need the body of Christ in order to grow in the faith. In verses 14 and 15, Paul says this, he's under obligation to preach the gospel to all people. Why would he say that? Because it's the best news in the world for sinners like you and I. And by the way, sinner just means one who falls short of a standard. So it is an apt description of all of us relative to God. All of us stand in need of the key word, the next key word in our text, which is gospel. So Doug has spoken to you about the body of Christ, which exists for the message of Christ, both to be blessed by that message and then to share that message. And the gospel is this. 
God made the world and everything in it. And because he did, we are accountable to him. Creation implies ownership. He created the world and you and I for his glory. We were created to image back to God his beauty, his goodness, his character, his love. Most people would readily say that God is love. We like that idea, and it is scriptural. God is love. But there's something else important about God that shows us why we need the gospel, that he revealed to Moses in Exodus 34. Here's what God said to Moses in Exodus 34. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Who are the guilty? I am. I am. All of us are. That takes us to the second key word, you. The word you occurs 13 times in those 17 verses. All of us have failed to glorify God as we should. From Adam and Eve, our first parents, right up until the current day, no one has obeyed God as they should have. No one has imaged back to God perfectly His glory and His goodness, except for one. But why does this matter? Because God is holy and righteous and entirely good, He must punish sin. He would not be a righteous judge if He did not. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That is what I earn for my sinfulness is death. So God created and we're accountable to him. We all sinned and the result of that sin is death. Is there any good news here? Yes, there is. The good news is in the third and fourth words, Christ and gospel. The title Christ means Messiah or deliverer. So how's the tension between God's holiness and His righteousness and our sin going to be resolved? Well, it's resolved on the cross of Christ, our deliverer, who delivers us from our sin and guilt. Jesus came to take our place, to suffer and die for the sins of all who would put their trust in Him and Him alone. He came to make what theologians call the great exchange. Jesus received the penalty that we deserved for our sin, which is death. And we received, credited to our account, His reward, eternal life with God. It's expressed very well in 1 Peter 2.24. This is an Awana verse. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. How does Christ's righteousness become ours? How can Christ's perfect obedience be credited to our account? What's well, in the last key word of the Bible reading this morning? Faith. By faith. We could never be good enough to impress a holy and righteous God. His standard is perfection. No one will enter his kingdom without perfection. And so none of us are perfect. How do we get there? By faith. 
by being in Christ, having faith in Him, then God credits His righteousness, His perfect obedience to our account. It is a wonderful thing. Jesus announced His public ministry like this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus tells us what our response should be to God's gospel. Repentance for sin, and all of us have sinned, and faith in Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, and then sacrificed His life on the cross to pay the penalty that I deserved for my debt of sin, and then who rose from the dead to gain the victory over sin on our behalf. And that's available to anyone who will put their trust in Him. So we are the body of Christ, and we exist to spread the, the beauty of the gospel of Christ. I hope that's what you're engaged in day after day. I hope that you buy up every opportunity that God gives you to share the beauty of His gospel, the beauty of His name, the beauty of our Deliverer who delivers us from our sins. We are thankful to God that we were able to join together this morning, spend some time together worshiping, hearing the word preached. And may the Lord now send us out into the community with the gospel of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for each person in this room, listening online, wherever they may be. You are our God. You have saved us from our sin because we have placed our trust in you. We had, no, we had no beautiful works that should merit our salvation, Lord. We are sinners. We needed a deliverer who would come and do everything that was necessary so that we could be with you. Lord, thank you for each member of this body and the way that they contribute the way that they bring food, the way that they serve, the way that they love each other. And Lord, we give you thanks that we were able to join together this morning. And for those who are not able to be with us, give them grace, Lord. Um, we thank you for each one of them as well, listening online. Heavenly Father, help us to rejoice in your gospel, to understand it, to cherish it, and then to share it with others. To realize that the gospel is not just a ticket that will get us into heaven one day. The gospel is a way of life. A way of life that is filled with thankfulness and joy. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Send us out in the community now to love others. And to share the message of Jesus Christ with all that we meet. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.